Uh, We are in in Deuteronomy chapter 10, but to be able to understand what is happening here, it is important to keep the connections of what Moses has said earlier. Uh, Moses has been preaching a sermon that began all the way back in chapter 5, and he won't stop preaching that until chapter 26. So he's got a long one for him, and we're right in the, the middle of this great message of what Moses is giving to them. Recall in chapter 9 that God made a very important message come through Moses to the people. When you enter into the land, do not dare to think that the reason why you are there is because of your righteousness. It is not because of you, but rather it is because of the wickedness of the people that are in the land and because God has sworn a promise to your forefathers, and that is the reason why you are in the land. In fact, he goes on to spend all of that chapter telling them, remember, there's no way you can think that you are righteous. You have been stubborn from the day that you came out of the land as you are to this very day. And he's gone on and on and on reminding them of their history of absolute stubbornness. Is with that in mind, now we have a call to action. Uh, after reminding them of their history and telling them that this is what you need to not do when you come into the land. Notice how Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 then says, And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? So this is the big deal now. After laying all that out, now, what does God want? You're to have humble hearts and not think it's about your righteousness. And so now, what are you supposed to do with that information? What does God then require of you when you do go into the land? So listen to what Moses says in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Notice his point is very simple. Here is what God asks of you. Complete allegiance to him. Because he has rescued you and it's not on the basis of your righteousness, it's not in any way that you have deserved it. Rather, you are a rebellious and stubborn people. And so when you come into the land, God's message is very simple, that you would fear the Lord to walk in his ways, to love him, serve him with all of your being and keep his commandments, because these are the things that God has done for you. I would like for you to notice in describing this picture when he says, I'm going to bring you into the land and here's what I ask of you is to fear me and love me, to keep my commands which I'm commanding you. And notice at the end of verse 13 where he says there, this is for your good. That is something that has been highlighted quite a few times and Moses now retraces that idea again. It is so important to recognize that loving the Lord your God and fearing Him and giving Him our complete devotion and full allegiance to Him has a very important purpose. It is for our good. Often we don't think about God's laws that way. But I think it is interesting that every law that God has ever given is for our good. In fact, I used that illustration a few lessons ago. There's not a single rule that a good parent ever gives to their children that is not for their good. 
and is always the basis behind rules. That's for your good. Now, we may rebel against it and say we don't like it, but that's on our end. God is giving us these things and they are for our good. Which ultimately then I would like for us to consider then if that what God has done for us is given us these rules for our good, that these commands are for our good and these purposes are for our good, then the consequence of that should be obvious is that it never then pays to sin. Sin is not for our good. That should be an inherent definition in our mind. Sinning is not for our good. And so often what we do is we visualize sin as, well, this is what's good. You know, I want to do that. And God say, no, if you go into the land and you disobey, you need to understand something that's inherent about that. Sure, you're disobeying God's laws, but notice that's not been the basis that God has spoken about his laws. He's not saying, I just want to see if you can do these random laws. And if you'll do some random laws, I'll prove something to me. He says, I'm giving you these rules because they're for your good. And if you break my rules, you're only hurting yourself. These things are for your good. And I think we should put sin in our mind in that way. Is that every disobedience that we commit is absolutely damaging to us. You can see how that connects well with the things we've talked about this morning and talking about what it means to boast in the cross of Christ. Is that we would recognize that obedience is for our good, the laws are for our good. And let me then allow what I hope would be a paradigm shift in the way we think about God. In this sense then, it is not a sacrifice to follow God. Because ultimately doing what God says is for your good. Now, I understand there's the idea of sacrifice. We're not going to do our will. I get that. I've preached on that upside down. But I want us to look at it from another angle and consider actually our vision of God's commandments should not be, well, you know, I'm having to make a sacrifice to do these things. God's saying it's not a sacrifice. It's for your good. It's absolutely what you need for life. In fact, not doing what he says is not for your good. It's bad for you. You're harming yourself. Or as I explored this morning, you're destroying yourself. You're destroying relationships. You're destroying others. You're destroying yourself. This is what Moses is proclaiming to the people. When you go into the land, don't look at it as if you're so awesome and so great and so righteous. Rather, fear God, keep his commandments and love him because that's how it's going to go well with you. Because all of his commands are good and he gives you every single command for the purpose of doing good by you. And we need to see our God in that light. And so often we look at God as somebody who's trying to keep us from good. Keep us from comfort and keep us from joy. When in fact, ultimately, what God is doing is giving us the very best path we can take. In fact, I would like to present to you the idea that those who are obedient to the Lord are the only ones who truly have the best of both worlds. Those who are obedient to God are really the only ones who have the best of both worlds. Because the rules that have been given to you are for your good in this life, and obviously then allow you to enter into the promised land. Only those who are willing to love the Lord their God and give complete allegiance to Him truly have the best of both worlds. 
Notice this is now a picture of what God wants to underscore in trying to help them have a love for God that is truly generated not out of obligation but out of their heart. Listen to verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens the earth and all that is in it. Just stop and think about that for a minute. Now Moses says, I want you to think about something. What does God need? What does he not possess? He says, behold, here is the Lord and what he has and what he owns and what he possesses, what belongs to him is the heavens, the sky, the earth, the creation, heaven of heavens, all that there is belongs to him. What does he need? Listen to verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are to this day. Did God need you? No. He owns it all. Notice what Moses is doing. He possesses everything. He's got heaven and earth and everything that is in him. And in spite of that, He put His heart on you. He chose you, is what Moses argues. That's supposed to be your perspective of God as you begin to make your way to the promised land. Is obviously God had no need of us, but God wants you. He set His heart on you. His affections are towards you. It's hard for me not to want to just make that the whole sermon. Because that's a mind-blowing idea. The all-creator God who is all-sufficient, who makes all things, needs nothing, said, you know what? My desire is for you all. Which, by the way, what did he just say about these people in chapter 9? They're a terrible people. (laughs) They disobey and are stubborn from the very day Moses walked in there. And yet God says, I put my my affections on you. I desire you that much. Which should just be absolutely amazing to us that in spite of the stubborn ways, He still loves us and desires us. He still would want a relationship with Him. We have witnessed that as we've moved from Exodus all the way to this point. We've seen that over and over again where God has been merciful to the people in spite of their rebellion and in spite of their sinning. Because God desires to have a people and He set His affection upon them. And it reminds us how we have an amazing God who desires to be with His people even in spite of all the rebellion. Which, friends, that is the answer. That is the number one answer as to when we wonder... How can God allow all of this evil to go on and not do something about it? That's your answer right there. Because he set his desire for all people and loves them and doesn't desire any to perish, but for all to come to him. And so he waits and waits and waits and waits. And we go, what's going on? What's going on? But aren't we glad he waits? We need that patience. 
And that's what he's describing here is this love that God has, which means that should be about total devotion. When we see God act on our behalf in that way, that God in heaven who needs nothing says, I desire these people so much I've set my affection upon them and then sends Moses to deliver them in mighty miracles and doing these signs. And how much more today for us who live under the new covenant, who have seen the cross of Jesus and what God was willing to sacrifice and for all because he has a desire for his people and he doesn't need anything. How can we not have a complete devotion to him? And how can we not be stunned by the amazing love that God has on display? That's what Moses stands up and says to them. You all are a stubborn people, but man, God loves you. God loves you and wants you to obey him and fear him, to serve him and love him with all of your heart. Which leads to verse 16. Here's the big call. What does the Lord require of you? What does God want? Verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Beautiful picture. Notice what he says. He says, here's what God asks of you. And you look at the love of God that he set his heart on you, that he cares for you that much. In spite of your rebellion, what does he say? Stop the rebellion. Stop being stubborn. Instead, be different. And notice he describes all of these things. And he describes God from verse 17 and 18. Why is he doing all that? Why, why is he saying all that? Because that's what we're supposed to do. Notice the character of God. Here is who God is. So stop doing what you want to do and stop living your way and stop being stubborn and be different and adopt God's ways. That's what he's doing. God loves the foreigner, so you need to love the foreigner. God shows justice, you show justice. God shows righteousness, you show righteousness. That's what he's calling for them. But notice the picture is you need to be different and change and stop being stubborn in that. To be able to cut through the heart that sometimes can be so calloused toward God. I think that is so important because what God is ultimately asking for us to have is a heart that is penetrated by his message. That's ultimately what you will find all throughout the scriptures, is God is always calling for hearts, and he wants hearts that are willing to listen and allow his word to penetrate deep into the heart. I'll take you to some harder places, but let me do the most obvious one. What is the parable of the sower all about? But what is your heart doing when God's message comes? It's exactly what the parable is driving at. 
is are you going to be one that allows the heart, the, the seed, the message to penetrate into the heart? How about Ezekiel, though? Here's a great one. Ezekiel 11, verse 18. It says, And when you come, when they come there, they will remove from it all the detestable things and all the abominations. Here's this vision of restoration that will come. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. Notice the imagery now. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Why? That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. I want you to notice that what Ezekiel describes a stubborn heart to be is a heart of stone. That's what the stubborn heart looks like. And the circumcised heart, as Moses says it, is a heart of flesh. One that is penetrated. One that is soft, not hard as a rock but allows God's word to enter in and to change them. In fact, please think about how the New Testament goes nuts about that idea. What do you see in Acts? Acts 2, what is the imagery? It's not just simply, oh, they obeyed. And they were cut to the heart. They had a soft heart. And when Peter and the apostles stood up and spoke, those words penetrated them. By contrast, you might remember what Stephen said about his Sanhedrin audience, about their hearts, and described them as stubborn and uncircumcised. And they turned and stoned him as proof that that's exactly what their hearts were. See, the picture that God is giving here is everybody's got a heart of stone. And ultimately what that is, is you do what you want to do. You're living how you want to live and you want to do what you think is best. It's a heart of stone. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut the heart. I want you to take the cover off. I want you to get rid of that heart of stone and instead have a repentant heart, which ultimately I submit to you, one of the key qualities of a heart that is not stubborn is a repentant heart. That's what Acts is showing. You see true hearts because they're cut by the message and respond. That's what a real heart for God does. A real heart for God desires to be corrected and will allow it to happen. Now, that's not our human nature, is it? Our human nature is, I'm right, and who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> that's knee-jerk reaction one, right? That's, that's just default, I think. And here's Moses saying, you can't be like that. When you see what God has done, that's not the heart God wants. God wants a heart that allows itself to be corrected. That is not a heart that says, I'm right no matter what, but is willing to accept instruction, correction, rebuke, whatever it takes from God's word to be able to change us to what we need to be. Unfortunately, what we have the tendency to do is we want to say we are right. We will surround ourselves with people who tell us that we are right. And so then we live our lives. I'm right. It's a stubborn heart. And it's such an important warning that Moses gives. Don't go into the land and lose a heart that's willing to listen to what God says and listen to what others are saying to you 
regarding the God's things. Unfortunately, how we often operate is what you see in Israel's history. How did Israel do in their history in regards to listening to God's messengers when they were sent to them and told them, you're not doing well, you need to change? Well, as Stephen said, please name one prophet you didn't persecute. We have the tendency to not want to listen to the message. And the key part of a heart that God wants is a heart that's willing to be soft enough to let the message come in and be changed. Notice there's another picture of this heart in verse 21. I love this declaration in verse 21. He is your praise. He is your God. That is a picture of the heart that we are to have. God is your joy. God is your glory. In fact, I like that he doesn't say, well, he's just a God or he's the God. He's your God is the picture. He's to be your praise. He is your God. And our thoughts then are to be triggered to praise him all the day long when we consider the goodness and greatness and mercy of God. Here is God saying, I want to be your God. I want to be your praise. I want to be your joy. Look at what I've done for you. And that we would praise Him and take our joy and desire in Him because of who He is and what He has done. We praise Him because of His faithfulness. You'll notice verse 22 may seem out of place, but notice He's bringing up the point. Why should God be your praise? Because He did exactly what He said He would do. You went down into Egypt and you were 70 people. Now look at you. Like stars of heaven, just like he promised Abraham. You guys were nobodies and you were down there in Egypt and you were oppressed. And look at what God has done. God is faithful to his word. He ought to be your praise. He needs to be recognized as your God. And so because God is so great, because he has been so good to us, that is why we cut our hearts and allow ourselves to be completely devoted to him. Because we see what he's done. Now watch what happens here in chapter 11. Because in chapter 11, you'll note that like in the first seven verses, what he does now is he reminds them of what God has done up to this point. He reminds them to keep the commandments and the rules and the statutes in verse 1. And he says, you've seen these things, verse 2, and I want you to consider the discipline of the Lord. See His greatness, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm. And then he speaks of the things that happened in Egypt regarding the signs and wonders, verse 3, a reference to the plagues, verse 4, parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of the armies of Egypt, verses 5 and 6, remembering what God did during Korah's rebellion. Verse 7, For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that He did. Now listen to verse 8. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, listen to it, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and their offspring a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, you remember everything God did. Now, when you go in there, obey God. 
And notice another reasoning behind it. I love the motivations that God gives. God, again, does not say, go in and obey because I said so. That's not what God does. God says, I want you to go in because in keeping my commandments, that's how you will be strong. That's how you will take the land. I want you to think about that idea for a minute because I think that is a powerful declaration regarding what God is trying to communicate. Now, what we would probably do is look at this and we might say, well, the reason why they need to obey the commands is because they keep the commands and God's going to overthrow the nations before them. And if they disobey, obviously God's not going to do that. And that's true. Obviously, that's true. We see that in the book of Joshua. When they disobey, it doesn't go very well for them. But I don't think that's really the critical point that Moses is getting at. I don't think that's the the big idea here. When he tells them that that this will be the way you will be strong, that here is God picturing the basis of obedience and the point of obedience is that this is the strength that we need to be able to be victorious. That this is the strength that we need to overcome the obstacles that lie ahead. And And I asked you, why would that be the case? Why does obedience indicate strength? Why is obedience exactly what God wants? Because we know that God is not interested in you just doing stuff for the sake of doing it. There's a reason always underneath it. And to speak of strength, the reason underneath it is obedience shows that you trust God to take care of the situation. What is Israel doing in all of their failures? You know, when you come into the days of Joshua and Judges and even the days of the prophets. The failure is this. We don't believe that God is going to do this. We need to do it ourselves. That's the teeter-totter of Joshua. Do you believe that walking around a city one time for six days and then on the seventh day walking around seven times and blowing some trumpets is going to do anything? Let's see if you believe your obedience shows a confident declaration in God's ability to see us through any difficulty. But when you get to the days later in Joshua and into Judges, what happens? There's not a dependence upon God, but we have to do it ourselves. And they fail at every turn because they don't believe that God will see them through. Notice obedience is the strength. Obedience is faith, a trusting in God, not in ourselves. I had a very interesting discussion this morning on the porch about that, going back and forth about faith is always about obedience. Without obedience, you're not showing a trust in the Lord. There is no trust. You can say you believe all day long, but if you're not doing what God says, you don't believe in Him. You don't believe in what He says. You don't believe that He will carry out His purposes or accomplish His will in your life. You are taking matters into your own hands. And there's no strong strength of that at all. But here Moses says, you know what will be your strength Do what God says, because you're showing your faith in God. You're showing that you believe. And that's what verses 13 through 15 lay out, where he goes on to say, God's going to take care of you if you obey. Not because this is a, okay, I'm going to obey. Now, God, take care of me kind of thing. But you are depending upon God. This is the faith. I'm trusting in you, Lord. 
And God says, I will respond to that. And you see that verse 13, if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all of your heart, with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, so that you may gather in your grains, your wine and your oil. And he will give you grass in your fields or your livestock and you will be eat. You will eat. You shall eat and be full. Notice you will be satisfied. I will make sure you have everything you need if you will have faith in me. He says, I've got it. You trust me. I'll take care of you. Watch verse 16. And the way God words it. Take care lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Notice the idea is You're going to be deceived into not trusting in God. And you're going to trust in something else. You're going to trust in yourself. You're going to trust in your idols. You're going to trust in things that you make. That's what they're going to do. And you're going to think that's going to take care of you. You don't trust God to take care of you. You're going to trust in you. And notice what he says is going to happen in verse 17. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that your Lord has given you. That is a key verse. Whenever you read Israel in a famine or in a drought, do you know what God was telling them? You are not trusting in me. Because he says, if you trust me, I'll let it rain every morning, every night. It'll rain and it will be prosperous and you will be satisfied to the full. I will give you the rains you need for harvest. But if you don't, it's not going to happen. Of course, one of the most notable times of that is the days of Elijah with Ahab and Jezebel, right? Years without rain. Somebody should have had a light bulb on at that moment and go, hmm, I don't think we're trusting in God right now. And that's why this has happened to us. God was using that as a tool to say, you need to believe in me. You need to trust me and you need to obey me. Notice verse 18. He goes on to say, you need to teach your children this. You need to teach your children to have faith in me, to obey me, to serve me and love me. Now you teach your children all this too. Sometimes we think only Deuteronomy 6 is the children passage. Not so. Notice right here, he then turns around and says that you would now teach this to your children when you rise up and when you sit down. Verse 20, write these on the doorposts and on your gates. Verse 21, and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Notice, put that on the doorpost. Don't be deceived by idols to trust in yourself. Put on the doorpost, trust God. He will take care of you. And he says, how do you know? Look at your past. Look at Egypt and look at the wilderness as proof that God will care for you if you will truly put your hope and your faith in him. So verse 22, be careful to do all the things that God has has commanded you. And when you do, verse 23, the Lord's going to drive out the nations. The whole picture here is a victory that's going to happen. That you'll be able to be victorious. No one will stand against you, verse 25, because this is what God promised that he would do. Now, let me take this into its amazing conclusion. But before we can read this concluding paragraph, we need to recap what's just happened. So Moses stands up and says... What does the Lord require of you? 
What do you need to do based upon the mercies of God and based upon the fact that you're a stubborn people and God has set his affections upon you anyway and chosen you to belong to him? What must you do? And notice the big picture has been you need to have cut hearts, not stubborn hearts. You need to have soft hearts that allow God's message to come in so that you will change your life. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your idols. Don't trust in yourself. Believe that God will take care of you so that he is your strength and that he will be your praise. Okay, that's been the setup for this big moment right here. Look at now verse 26. Deuteronomy eleven twenty-six. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan west of the road toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal beside the oak of Moreh? For you are to cross over the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I'm setting before you today. After all of that, notice what Moses says. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. If you want the blessing, obey. Simple as that. Did all of those blessings sound good? Then the path to those blessings is to love the Lord your God, fear Him, and obey Him. His commands are for your good. They are not arbitrary. They are going to be what you need to have the best life here and the best life to come. Or you can choose the curse. And the curse is... Keep doing what you're doing. Remember, Moses stood up and said in the last chapter, you've been rebelling and you're stubborn and you're not doing what God says. So just keep doing that and you'll have the curse. You won't enjoy the blessings of God. In fact, you will destroy yourself. You will not enjoy the promised land and you'll destroy yourself now as God has described right here. You will reap the benefit of blessings if you will obey. You will reap the consequences of curses if you choose to go your own way. And please consider what that would have looked like when he says, and when you go into the land, you're going to have these two mountains right there. And when you see those mountains, those will remind you of the choice that stands before you. I wish we had two mountains to look at here in Florida. That'd help Like the two landfills, right? It's so interesting to me how God gives us these visuals. You're going to look at those mountains and you're going to remember, you have a choice. You choose today what you're going to do. You choose your outcome. Do you want blessings? Choose God. His commands are for your good. But understand... Idolatry, sinful living, living for self, doing what we want. There's a certain destiny 
proven by God. You will receive the curse, and it will not go well with you. And we have hundreds and hundreds of years of history of Israel to prove that truth. When Israel disobeyed, they received the curse, and it didn't go well for them, and they were tossed out of the land. And if we would ever think that we're going to somehow enjoy the promised land of heaven and be in the presence of God and have unrepentant, stubborn hearts and do what we want to do, we're fooling ourselves. Choose today who you will serve. Choose will it be the blessing. Choose if it will be the curse. And I hope that you and I together will always work to have soft, repentant, open hearts that will always be cut by God's word so that we can make the changes that we need on a daily basis because he loved us, because he set his affections upon us and desires for us to be with him. And we hope you come to Jesus this very night. Would you let us know while we stand and while we sing?